to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, emergency response, resiliency, and anything that can be relatable to those topics. As always, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage for the show. There is a button underneath the graphics and the email a host or something along those lines. I do get all emails. I do respond to everything, and we will see about getting you on the show or finding someone to talk about the topic you want us to uh, to talk on. Long-term listeners will know that uh, I've been uh, talking about the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto in May of 2019, and uh, as we did with 2018, we've been talking to a lot of the speakers, and today is no different. Today, we're going to be talking with Ken Hoffer who was a speaker here, and his topic was Prepare for Recovery. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Alex. This is uh, exciting to be here. Thank you. Can you let our guests know a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got into what you do, and where you work? Absolutely. I work with Alberta Health Services, which is a province-wide health program across all of Alberta. Um, Over 100,000 staff. It's huge. And the current role I have is with our brand new business continuity team. And... um, we are actually developing a business continuity program across all of Alberta Health Services right now. So you can imagine the scope of all of our facilities and all of our staff identifying dependencies, interdependencies, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and it comes from learnings from many experiences in Alberta uh, about being better prepared for when things happen as opposed to if. Right? Well, I think you've had a couple of uh, experiences in uh, Alberta over the last few years, haven't you? Absolutely, and, that, and that's part of what I came to present and was really excited to be invited uh, to the conference. And even right now, as we speak today, you know, um, just south of us, Toronto Island is flooding and sandbagging. Um, you look at the news last night and tornadoes across Kansas and Ohio and flooding in Oklahoma. And at home, where I'm from, my team right now is activated into emergency operations centers to support over 5,000 evacuees due to wildfires in northern Alberta. So, you know, half of me is really excited to be here, but the other half of me wishes I was at home uh, helping out. But we've learned so much from these events, and it shows the importance of blending in business continuity with emergency management uh, as we move forward. It's interesting because I I also sit on the board of directors for the International Emergency Management Society, or the advisory board, better clarify that in case any of them are listening. (laughs) And um, they've been saying the same thing with emergency management, you know, we need to get um, involved in some of the other areas like business continuity as well. So it's good to hear other people on the other side saying that as well. Absolutely. It's part of, you know, as I'm, as I'm, reading the situation reports that are coming out from home um, as I've been texting with my director back and forth the last couple of days um, when I look back to uh, events that that I've been involved in it's obvious uh, that we've applied our lessons learned and ran unfortunately I mean these things are happening but we're getting better uh, at responding to them and thinking longer term around what we do in response will impact our recovery so you know, in my uh, in my 20s, uh, I was in the Canadian Forces. Um, got out when I when I got married when I was 30. Uh, began working with the City of Calgary, and I got uh, when I left the military, I got into social work, and I found that as I as I moved into being interested in emergency management and using those skills to respond to different events. Uh, through what I experienced at the City of Calgary and now with Alberta Health Services, the blending of those two worlds, uh, that that approach I was taught in the Canadian Forces uh, to what I was taught in social work, I find that emergency management business continuity, it blends those together. Um, we can go into an emergency operations center and we can use the incident command system and a very defined militaristic structure, but at the same time, can work in reception centers with evacuees and be where they are. And one of the things that... Uh, one of the things that I, uh, the interesting thing that I use with that is when I was in the army, I was taught, don't do, don't just stand there, do something. 
Mm-hmm. And then in social work, into a reception center, it was, don't do something, just stand there. <laughs> I'm there with a cup of coffee, with evacuees. You build that trust and those relationships, and they will eventually come and, and talk to you and talk about what are their needs moving forward into recovery. And, you know, in social work, they talk about starting where the client is and starting where that evacuee is. And one of the things that, that I had talked about, uh, you were going to talk about emergency management phases. And, you know, it's interesting... Uh, when I was at the emergency management college and taking the early training in emergency management, those phases of, of emergency management, you know, from uh, from mitigation, risk reduction, preparation, response, recovery, I was taught those in a linear format. And what we've learned over the past several years is it's really a cycle. It's really a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can probably talk more about this later, but it's that whole piece of more and more with more and more events happening, you have to be prepared to respond while you're in recovery. Here we go again. And one of the one of the pieces I did with uh, with the slide deck in the presentation was, of course, bringing the Alberta experience to this conference. But wanted to bring in, you know, what what happened in Ontario and Quebec and New Brunswick just this spring, and and learning about these communities out east here, who this is the third year in a row that something happened from a flood to a tornado to another flood. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's a cycle, it's a circle. There's nothing linear about this anymore, right? Right. You're barely out of one, and you've got another situation occurring. Or you're dealing with one, while another one all of a sudden is brewing mm-hmm. you know, just further down the road. Yeah, and one of the exciting things that we have in Alberta Health Services is that we base everything on what we call a trauma-informed care model, which really is you start where the person is. If we're talking about patient care or staff safety, whatever, whatever uh, experiences have happened in someone's life, um, historical trauma, cultural trauma, domestic violence, whatever it may be, um, there's a cumulative impact to that. So all of a sudden when you're working in a community or in a reception center, um, you try to take into account the whole life experience or history of someone as they're coming in to work with them. And not just, you know, say evacuees, but also fellow first responders or fellow staff and what they're going through as well too. You you mentioned we'll we'll be talking about the phases of emergency management part of your presentation. Yeah, I got ahead of you. <laughs> but but oh, that's okay. You know, I don't mind going off script at all. Not at all. Long time listeners, you know, if you will know that, um, you know, with guests we we go where our chat takes us. Well, I've got three teenagers. So. I can I can hear their eyes rolling at me. Going, Dad, really? Just let them talk. Saying <laughs> so, I'm the other way. Rather you talk. Uh, you mentioned something um, that caught my attention right away. I'm losing my voice already. Um, lessons learned. How is Alberta Health um, actioning lessons learned? Because a lesson isn't learned unless you're actioning. Something changes. So what are you doing based on some of the previous uh, incidents that have occurred in Alberta or anywhere that you may have learned, um, like Fort McMurray Fire you know, a couple of years ago? What's Alberta Health doing you know, by way of lessons learned? What's really exciting is that um, my colleagues at home uh, in addictions and mental health, emergency disaster management, as well as those folks with the City of Calgary and Calgary Emergency Management Agency, the Emergency Social Services Network of Alberta, so many folks across the province from that emergency social services um, mindset and approach have looked back to even back to the Edmonton tornado in, in 1987, uh, the Pine Lake tornado, uh, the Slave Lake uh, wildfire, the Southern Alberta floods into Fort McMurray, what's happening now is that we have formalized the development of what we call a psychosocial response team. And one of my colleagues, uh, Toby Martin, who couldn't be here with me, uh, she and her, the folks that she works with in addiction to mental health, and there's so many fantastic folks there that have developed this program and utilized the training for our staff aligned with you know, uh, municipal staff or county staff, those folks in Indigenous communities, to use a really uh, what we call a stepped care model of practice around providing information, uh, short-term assistance, right through to more intense therapeutic approaches to help folks recover from events. So this whole notion of what we call a psychosocial response team, and you can use whatever, whatever term that you want, some communities call it an emotional wellness response team, so some folks use mental health, psychosocial, resiliency. We've yet to really come across kind of a, a name that doesn't carry with it mm-hmm. assumptions or barriers uh, for folks to, to access those services. And the culmination of all of these learnings that we can talk about, the lessons learned through all these years, um, it's really exciting to see these psychosocial response teams being put in place uh, across different areas of Alberta Health Services 
And as you and I are sitting here, being utilized at home right now uh, to work with the over 5,000 folks that have been evacuated from their homes, and those folks even right at this very moment are fueling their vehicles, they're loading it up with their supplies, they're grabbing their kids, they're grabbing their pets, and they're set to leave their homes, right? So, <coughs> excuse me, so with some of these lessons, you're not just um, working on the stuff that didn't go well, you're also focusing on some of the things that did go well? and trying to enhance what you've had or were these um, what do we call them uh, CSRs is that something new sure. that's a lesson PRTs? learned or was that something that was already there but we've taken that and moved it to a new given it a new focus I, I think we've really um, we've, re we've really focused on using some really uh, solid research-based interventions and practices moving forward and in the presentation when I talk about a different range of approaches um, from road to mental readiness, critical instance stress debriefing, psychological first aid, skills for psychological recovery. It's almost as if you have a, a buffet of services or interventions that you can choose from um, to then start where that person is with mm -hmm. uh, what they're bringing to this event, uh, the trauma of that event, the grief of previous events, um, and to help them find what's best for them. And, and when we take a look at the lessons learned, it's going back through these events. And, and we can talk more about that as we move through, but around developing this approach of working with clients, with families, with communities, where they're at and with that mind to recovery. And I assume that's you know, not just the CSRs working with these people, but um, uh, other areas of Alberta Health are involved too. Like it's not just one little area that's focusing on this. You're, you're, you've brought in communications and other areas as well, right? Like it's oh, absolutely. the whole. And, yeah, and not to um, so not to Alex to go back, but like PRTs. Is that what you're trying to the psychosocial muscle or the CSRs you're talking about? Uh, well, the, the group. I know you mentioned two two different names here, so I'm probably giving the wrong one back. Oh, uh, no, no worries, no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, we formalize them. We call them psychosocial response teams right now. The PRTs, but PRTs uh, right. does, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And, and again, it's that whole piece of when I was with the city of Calgary and we were up in Slave Lake, and we were working on the recovery and reentry planning with all the folks there, and the huge learning was my favorite emergency management word, which is interoperability. Why can't we all just get along? All, you know, I say to my kids, it's the biggest group project you've ever seen. All ages and stages, all levels of government, um, every organization you could possibly look at working together um, to help a community recover. And one of the big lessons uh, that I experienced in Slave Lake was utilizing those community folks to move forward with their own recovery. So when we were talking about turning this town back on and getting all the tradespeople back and, and how do we bring everyone home and how do we phase this in and we how do we help people come into, you know, in some cases what's left of their community or in parts that aren't damaged. Um, the huge lesson was around involving those community folks in moving forward with that. The fact that, yeah, we're, we're you know, in my case, a responder from Calgary. I mean, it's not my home, it's not my community. I don't want, you know, you need to build that trust as opposed to being seen as an, as an outsider. And, and much of the research has shown, not just here in Canada, but uh, there's, there's researchers um, who have looked at in wildfires in Australia or the cumulative impact of, of trauma around Gulf Coast youth who have been evacuated every single year of their lives, changing homes, changing schools, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, involving them, uh, helping them to create that sense of recovery. And I know uh, the town of Slave Lake has done a, an incredible job of recording and sharing and communicating their recovery practices and, and, and what has worked as well too. And, and even that whole piece of uh, one of the things experienced in Slave Lake was their, their second disaster after the fire was donations was managing all the influx of donations that they got as well too. Now and that they, seems a strange thing to actually have a problem with. Oh, you know what? Um, the ability to warehouse so many of the don donations that were sent into that community, um, to find staff, uh, to manage all that, to distribute all that, uh, to sift through what's a good donation or what something that probably might not have should have been uh, donated. Um, it's that whole notion of 
when folks want to help out in a community to really pay attention to what that community is asking for. What do they need donated as opposed to I'm just going to send them whatever I think they might need. So um, there are lots of more improved guidelines across many organizations in emergency management around managing the donations uh, and distributing them to, to the folks that need them. I remember speaking with someone from um, I think it was St. John's Ambulance uh, quite a, a year ago or so on the show and they said one of the key things with donations because you got me thinking here um, was money was the best thing to donate not you know a, a thousand people giving a thousand blankets you know it's not necessarily what they need right yeah exactly and it's that whole piece of again <coughs> working with the community and, and working with all the communication tools we possibly have around that community asking for what they need as opposed to an influx of stuff that maybe they don't want. So you're not, if I understand right, you're not using a cookie cutter approach anymore, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and a part of that, again, uh, I think a lot of the lessons learned that have happened over the past 10 years or so is around there's, such, there's much more awareness of preparedness, um, not if when something happens, but when something happens. Um, so families, organizations, communities, this is much more top of mind for them now. Well, it should be because we, we see it more in the news these days, and maybe that's because of social media, you know, that um, and things are happening. Really, I have no idea if it's happening more or it's just we're more aware of all these things that are occurring because of social media. Yeah. Because I can't imagine that some of these floods never occurred before. You know, tornadoes have been going on through history. Mm -hmm. So what? why have we changed all of a sudden? Actually, that's a question for the next segment, because <laughs> okay. I just noticed we've come to the end of our first segment. No worries. Today we're talking with Ken Hoffer at the CRT conference, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Ken Hoffer at the CRT conference here in Toronto. Ken, just at the end of our last segment, um, you mentioned uh, there's been an increase in awareness. So I'm wondering what's changed that has increased that awareness because tornadoes, floods, you know, and fires, as terrible as they are, and the impact they have, they've occurred throughout history. So now that we're, we have a greater awareness and preparedness, 
has anything occurred to make that awareness level increase? I mean, definitely, folks are so much more connected, you know, across the province, across the country, across the planet. It's much more aware of what's happening. And, and even with my kids, I mean, they're much more aware of what's happening uh, from, you know, an emergency management perspective across across the world, for sure. And, and I think that what's come out of events like the Slave Lake Fire, definitely the Southern Alberta Flood, is the whole notion of using a community outreach model and, and door knocking and, and I watched that in, in the media here with what was happening in Ontario and Quebec and you know outreach teams of environmental public health folks, public health nurses, other first responders checking on folks, going door to door and that was one of the great things that I saw um, in recovering from, from the Southern Alberta flood was working with communities different areas of, of the city of Calgary, uh, High River, Canmore, Exha, all these different communities and they developed a community outreach program and it was an amalgamation of numerous agencies, in some cases over 20 or 25 agencies in a community with their staff getting together and coordinating and then going door to door and doing wellness checks on folks and I think part of that drove home the notion to people that, that, that they are connected to their community and that there are supports in place to reach out to them to see how they're doing and what they need help with in their recovery as well as they're going forward. So much more an awareness of building that sense of community and connecting people with each other. Um, and even some of the learnings, you know, from uh, some research that was done around uh, recovery from the fire in Slave Lake, you know, some folks lost their homes and some folks didn't. How did the recovery of that impact the changing nature of that community and that sense of it in, in moving forward? And taking those experiences of starting where that person is, where that family is, where that business is, where that community is, and moving forward, uh, even up to the scale of, of Fort McMurray and you know, 90,000 somewhat folks um, evacuated from that, that community and realizing where they're at and what's happening. And, and one of the things that that I learned during the Fort McMurray uh, Wood Buffalo wildfire response was that the fire itself was the second disaster to hit that community. The first was the economic disaster. Um, that this was already a community that was reeling from an economic, uh, from economic difficulties. Mm -hmm. And then comes the fire. So again, it's that whole piece of being aware of where that community is and, and wanting to come in and wanting to help in whichever way, shape, or form they want you to or they need you to. Well, I, I remember the days that uh, going going back a couple <coughs> of years, let's just say, <laughs> and uh, where it was, you know, communities would or local governments or organizations would have these response plans or emergency response plans plans in place, but they weren't communicated out to anybody. It was more of a, a case of we'll tell you what to do when it happens. Am I right in saying that now it's kind of flipped that because of social media and more, the more awareness that you speak to, communities now can get involved to say, no, this is what we need, you know, that, that it's kind of flipped? Absolutely. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of experience or knowledge in this area, but one of the things that we learned out of Australia was spontaneous volunteerism and the use of social media to reach out and to coordinate volunteers, not just around response or donations that we talked about before, um, but that whole notion of, of harnessing and utilizing social media and community working together with each other too. That, that's a huge, huge piece. Yeah, it's gonna make a, a big difference and you know, knowing when people know and participate in something, they, they become greater uh, aware and they're more willing to participate you know, and, and um, follow directions because they know why they need to follow that direction and yeah. they had a, 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 a some input into understanding why they need to oh exactly and, and you know uh, to see things that have come from from the province and from communities across alberta like the emergency social services network of alberta um, it's fantastic to see folks from across the province sharing lessons learned sharing experiences being to being able to support each other um, we have folks now that are being deployed across the province to help out and to assist and to share their experiences. And in this case, you know, there are so many folks back home in Alberta Health Services and, and in the municipalities and in the counties and the indigenous communities that are now really working together and aligning themselves and developing all these things that I've been talking about and doing all that fantastic work um, 
in preparation for, for what's going to come next and are working together and aligning those pieces. And um, now when we're talking about Emergency Preparedness Week or Business Continuity Awareness Week or for me, the fact that Mental Health, Mental Health Awareness Week happens in that time frame as well too. So we get to talk about Emergency Preparedness and Business Continuity and Mental Health all at the same time. And from my experiences uh, uh, across the military into social work and into emergency management, I find the blend of that is incredibly important. Um, around building resiliency, yourself, your family, your business, your community, all that peace and supporting each other. Well, I think over the years, people have, when it comes to resiliency, people have started to finally realize you can't just have individual silos. Emergency response does this. Business continuity does that. Mm -hmm. You know, and this agency does this. Because um, I know I've been doing this for a long time, and I've always said, no, you can't just do it all alone. You know, you've all got to work together, and I, and that's finally happening. And I think that's something that it sounds like Alberta Health is now doing. Oh, I mean, we're. It's it's so great to see, um, working with communities, reaching out to different areas of our communities, um, working closely with municipalities and counties, and and aligning what we do. And you know, it's one of those pieces of understanding the impact of an emergency event or a disaster and how you might define that. So in, in a large urban environment like Calgary, an apartment fire, well, that's an emergency. In a very small town, an apartment fire would be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So it's a piece of let's work together with everyone, everyone that we possibly can to prepare for this, to respond, and then to recover from it as a community. Have you found that um, by speaking with large and small uh, communities that there are common commonalities between them regardless of you know their their community size yeah it's, de it's definitely people working together um, and really gaining a sense of community of who's who's living in my community where do they come from what experiences do they possibly have um, the whole sense of community is so important um, and and again too you know when we talk about 72 hour preparedness and what's in your 72 hour kit and you know in an urban setting that's all well and fine and I remember going to rural communities to talk about that and they would laugh and they would go three days I'm ready for three months what are you talking about so <laughs> respecting where they're at and what I'm bringing and the lessons I can learn and what they can teach us on continually augmenting and improving our program, and even this, even this slide deck. I was joking this morning that, you know, uh, in what's happening in the states and Toronto Island right now, flooding. What's happening at home? I'm walking in to do, to do my presentation with. Here's what's happening right now at this very moment, and we're still learning and we're still applying, and that's okay. And with what's going on um, daily around the globe, you're almost out of date. Oh, you know, so quickly. Yeah, and it's and it's fine to realize that, and and, and the whole notion of, you know, uh, normalizing uh, the reactions to these events, and that what people experience, it's a normal response to an abnormal experience, which is which is okay, and there's a cumulative impact to that as well too. And I remember working with folks uh, after the Southern Alberta flood, and, and we were looking at the year anniversary for the flood, you know, summer 2014, year after the floods. And working with reps from different agencies and different communities and different parts of southern Alberta around aligning our services and our supports so we can support each other should another flood happen. Mm -hmm. And what I heard from a lot of organizations is that many staff who had gone in and set up community reception centers and helped evacuees and all of the wonderful services that they could provide, a number of those staff had already taken the summer of 2014 off. And they said, "Oh, you know, I don't want to ever do that again. That was so that was that was difficult, and there was an impact, and I don't want to be part of that ever again." So, as we plan for these next next events, to consider that and to go, "Hmm, am I going to have uh, the capacity to respond to the next event, uh, given where folks are at?" So, and that's okay. It's okay to understand that, and that's just fine, right? Well, you that leads me to something you said earlier about mental health. Would that have something to do with it? You know, I don't want to go through that again. You know, with with some of the previous disasters that have happened, does that come into play with you know emergency responders or people that are on planning committees and coordinators? Does that come into play, like mental health, because of that? They're seeing all these disasters, they're helping with them, and they're planning for them. Oh, absolutely, and and it's a piece again. I, what I really like is what my colleagues in Alberta Health Services have developed is this trauma-informed care approach um, and bringing the whole notion of grief into that as well too and the interplay of both of that um, and taking a look at the life experiences and the life circumstances of an individual or family or a community um, and in some cases the cumulative impact of 
responding or dealing with or being through these events as well too and the impact that that has over time as well right so as much as we can apply our lessons learned uh, and move forward and and work together and work on that resiliency we also have to be very aware of you know it's okay um, if you are adversely impacted by yet another event and how can I respond to that and I think a lot of that then ties into supporting each other and working as teams um, to recognize that and to be okay with that and it's a piece where when we look at everything from uh, things like road to mental readiness, critical incident stress debriefing, psychological first aid, skills for psychological recovery, there's a blend of all these approaches um, that we can utilize as teams depending on where we are at, what we've been through, what we have seen as well too. And I guess that's got to expand out to other people as well, like families and friends. You know, if you're using yourself as the example here, you're obviously talking to a lot of people that have gone through all kinds of things. And being from Alberta, you've seen a lot of things. Um, that's got to be tough for you as well, you know, to, to know that, oh, you know, I'm look, talking to people in a community and this place could burn down. That's got to be tough to be able to try and focus on, you know, planning, you know, how do I... How do you deal with that, those kind of situations? Well, and that's that piece of, you know, uh, again, back to those experiences in Slave Lake as an example where, you know, there were there were uh, folks from Slave Lake who, as volunteer firefighters, they fought the fire and then they stayed. Their families had evacuated and they switched hats and now they're working with us on re-entry and recovery planning and everything that they've seen and they've been through and they're still working while their families are evacuated. Mm -hmm. um, so many Alberta Health Services staff that we had uh, that were evacuated from Fort McMurray and yet still wanting to help out and still wanting to provide that help and assistance while their families uh, have been evacuated or are doing something else. And it comes to mind uh, post-flood at home, the cul-de-sac where I live in Calgary. Um, we decided to, to put together a fundraiser and put a little barbecue together and everyone comes out and you know, we can raise money for, for donations and for folks in High River. Um, and our neighbors, uh, their parents had been evacuated from High River and they were now staying with them in our cul-de-sac while their house had been flooded. And the two of them were like, they didn't want to come to this barbecue. They didn't no. want any part of this and they stayed in the house and that was just fine. No problem. We'll, we'll put together a, a plate of food for them and send it over and that's okay. Right? Right. And people understood. That's just fine. <clears throat> right? Well, wow, that's uh, interesting, you know, how people, you know, I'll change it. it. It really comes down to people. Oh, yeah. Like in the end, you can have all these processes and everything in place, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people. Really. Oh, yeah. There, there's an incredible grief support program with Alberta Health Services, and, and one of the folks that I worked with uh, as a counselor with them invited me out to a community recovery session uh, out in Exshaw. Yeah out towards Canmore and Banff and it, I was very it was very um, it was very heartening to be invited into that process and to just be there and to observe it and what was interesting is that you know there was a woman that was part of that and she wanted to talk about understanding trauma understanding grief um, the steps that I need to go through how can I, how can I work through this mm -hmm. and what was funny is her husband sat out in the truck in the parking lot the whole time he wouldn't really in. but when we were done and the counselor was with me out in the parking lot then he came out and one-on-one, -on -one, he wanted to have a little chat. So it's fantastic. You, you start where the person is, and you just be there for them. So uh, the counselor was able to provide that service and provide that connection in whichever way, shape, or form might have been needed, right, and to apply those learnings as we move forward. So for me to watch my peers and my colleagues deliver these incredible services is, is just fantastic. And we can build those into into our plans and you know my colleagues in addictions and mental health who have developed these psychosocial response teams we can add those components in as we move forward and just uh, all the incredible work that all these wonderful people have put into that and the training is you know I'm just here to share that information but they do they do all the real work and all the heavy lifting at home for sure oh yes I think you will in your example there the uh, the gentleman in the truck and um, uh, his, his wife I assume you know being inside talking with everybody else really illustrates the the uh, community and individual because uh, one person doesn't want to talk about it in front of everyone else while another person is 
in you know the thick of things you know with a group of people talking about different things so it must be difficult for you for you guys at times to be able to manage all those different perspectives trying to to get what people need but also have to adapt your yourselves and your own approach to answer questions yeah, and even not just with with the folks we're working with, but our but our peers, our colleagues, supporting each other, um, uh, the supports that we have in place across Alberta Health Services and our communities, um, to provide those supports uh, as our teams as well too, to being prepared to respond. You know, one of the you know one of the one of the pieces we use in some of the training is you know when you're when you're on an airplane and you know the flight attendant talks about if there's a loss in cabin pressure put your own oxygen mm -hmm. mask on yeah. first before you help the people beside you yeah. that's kind of a component of how we work with teams and communities and and we have to look after ourselves at the same time as, right. as we're helping others right and I think that's a perfect uh, spot to end our second segment we're talking with Ken Hoffer today from the CRT conference in Toronto we'll be right back Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Ken Hoffer from the CRT conference, um, whose presentation, Prepare for Recovery. Uh, in your chat, Ken, you talk about psychological first aid. What do you mean by that? And can you give us some examples? Oh, sure thing. And, you know, when we look at a range of, of approaches that, uh, that can be used, um, Alberta Health Services has utilized some incredible research out of the World Health Organization and many, many other um, organizations and communities to utilize psychological first aid as our approach to working with individuals and families and communities and responding and then eventually leading into recovering from an event as well too. And it's, it's um, we have a wonderful, uh, wonderful teams across our addictions and mental health folks um, who are now conducting psychological first aid training uh, across Alberta Health Services and also working with our community providers as well too. And it's really um, a gentle approach to, again, basing on a trauma-informed care model of working with individuals, communities, and families around that, res around that uh, response piece. And, and you can take the training online, you can take it in person, there's different varied methods of training around, you know, there's a four hour, there's a six hour, there's all kinds of stuff. What's really exciting about it is it helps you, first off, take a look at your own experiences, your coping strategies, how you um, 
would respond or recover from an event? Am I prepared? Am I ready to come and help out? And it's kind of a four-stage process to it. And that first piece around preparation is you learn about the disaster or the emergency. You learn about available services and supports. Um, you learn about safety and security concerns. If I'm going into a reception center, if I'm going into a community, um, what might I expect to see? But also beginning with yourself and that self-awareness and that resiliency piece for yourself. Am I ready to go and respond? Am I set to go? You know, Because if I know, then I can help. Uh, someone else, right? Oh, sure. And, and bring that awareness another step. Yeah. And, you know, one of the instructors I had at the Emirates Mountain College uh, many years ago would talk about that piece of, you know, when that when the phone rings, your intellectual capacity just drops for 25%. The, 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 <laughs> the stress kicks in and you're like, oh, no, here we go again, right? Yeah. Am I ready? Am I able to go into this piece, right? And, you know, I remember one, uh, uh, we had a, a fire in, in downtown Calgary back in was probably 2011 or so and it was my wife's birthday and I'd taken the day off work and I was at home and I'm making French toast and well the phone rang I was like oh, oh. Oh. get down to that get down to that fire there's a mobile command post down there let's rock and roll we've got evacuees we're gonna set up a reception center we're gonna kick in all our emergency social services folks to provide that fantastic care well in my mind as I'm driving down to the event I'm going to whoops I've just, <laughs> it's my wife's birthday, but here I go, right? Uh -oh. So hats off to everyone who does that because you take a look at your mindset and I'm prepared to go in. And then when you're in that setting, the psychological first aid component talks about the next piece after preparation is the look piece, right? So you check for safety. You look for people with obvious, urgent, basic needs. You look for people with serious distress reactions. Um, when I think about, again, that, that fire example, you know, we had predominantly elderly Chinese folks that had been evacuated from, from their apartment complex. They're sitting on City of Calgary buses. Uh, we had fantastic staff going bus by bus, person by person, checking in. Uh, the Calgary Police Service had provided some of their constables as interpreters. Um, it was that fantastic piece of taking a look at who are we working with, who are we dealing with, um, what kind of strengths and challenges and needs do they have, and then we can gear up our services to meet those. And part of that then leads into that third component of the listen component of, of psychological first aid. So the preparation, the look, and then the listen. You're making contact with people who need the support. You're asking them what their needs or concerns, and you're, you're listening to them and helping them to feel calm. And one of the things uh, that I had seen before uh, that the City of Calgary had done in their emergency social services program in a reception center is um, when I had worked in some of them in the past was to almost have like a rover, like in softball. Mm -hmm. You've got a staff person with a cup of coffee and they're just working the room and they're getting a sense of how people are feeling. You know, do we need more coffee? Do we need an information session or a briefing session? Is there enough activities for the kids? Uh, are folks over, are they concerned about the pets they may have left behind or any pet care issues that may have or medication issues or, you know, all these kinds of, of pieces that people would be concerned with and bringing forward. And then comes that fourth component of, of psychological first aid, which is the linking. So helping folks address their basic needs and access services, cope with problems, give accurate information. Uh, you're connecting people with, with what they need. And it's, it's a much more gentler approach of I'm going to come in with my approach and my intervention and my set, as opposed to psychological first aid is much it's a much more gentle approach and much like I talked about before you know when I was when I was in the in the military the the, the the training was don't just stand there do something mm -hmm. and PFA to me my my impression of it is don't do something just stand there just be there with that cup of coffee have these folks uh, build that trust build that communication um, help you understand what connections you can help them make and that will then feed into that longer term uh, recovery piece. That's almost a Zen Buddhist type thing, <laughs> you know, where, where they, you know, they tell you, you know, sometimes the best best way to be there for someone is to say nothing, just be there, and they will eventually, um, you know, open up to you and tell you what they need, which is which seems to be the you know what you just described. Yeah, and, and even to understand <clears throat> understand this whole system that's in place that they're not alone that there's a whole. Um, community of, of help that's out there for folks and one of the things that we had learned uh, you know when we did when we do debriefs you know after Slave Lake after the floods after for McMurray one of the things that we heard from some AHS staff that had responded to um, uh, to reception centers and to communities was that part of their stress level will be reduced in responding if they understand 
the whole system that was in place. Mm -hmm. So in Alberta Health Services, we have a very robust incident management system that we utilize that aligns with the communities that we work in and utilizes those principles of the incident command system as well too so that we end up using the same processes, the same approaches, we're all speaking the same language and it's that piece of utilizing those common systems across the province uh, to coordinate our services as well too. So that's really important. So to be able to share with our responding staff and evacuees that there is this whole coordinated system in place um, that we're and of course we're it's we're continually improving that and applying lessons learned. And right now at home as we speak, you know, my colleagues and peers that are working in Northern Alberta are applying these principles, using these principles and yet using that continuous learning piece and that feedback from community members around is this the best approach? Can we do better? How can we improve this? Right. Well, it goes back to that secular approach that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's not linear, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. You could be in the middle of a situation, which some of your colleagues are, and still having to adjust to what's going on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and even though, yeah, there's more and more events uh, that we're seeing every year, um, utilizing that experience, that knowledge, sharing it, working together, it's all that piece of you know, we'll recover better the more prepared that we are. And as you're responding, have that mind to what recovery is going to look like. Well, one of the last topics I wanted to touch on that you, you bring up in your presentation is emotional intelligence. Can you explain that more? It, it's, it's really, uh, it, it's really um, exciting for me to see, again, like I talked about before, um, having mental health as a, as a a thread through all of emergency management and business continuity and the emotional intelligence piece again that emotional self-awareness the emotional self-management as well as the empathy and awareness of others and what they're going through and part of that for me defines that trauma-informed care and, and grief support model um, and the whole notion of how you are reacting to event will depend on your history, your makeup, um, the impact of that and how you move forward with that. And what I really like about it is that awareness of yourself, awareness of your family, of your, your team, your business, your community leads into building relationships and maintaining those relationships um, and supporting each other through through these events as well too. Um, and it's, it's fantastic to see a lot of that Again, that interoperability that I like, the word that mm -hmm. I like so much. And, and part of that too is um, as we're looking at, you know, this, what is it now, the 75th anniversary of D Day coming up. And yeah. you know, uh, the quote that General Eisenhower had is that plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Planning is indispensable. Getting together, uh, sharing your strengths, sharing your challenges, whether as a family, as a business, as a community, across communities. Um, working together to prepare that, utilizing uh, those elements of emotional intelligence is around building those networks, building that communication, building that trust, that credibility across each other, and that mutual inter interdependence and supporting of each other uh, is a vital, vital piece in the preparation times, moving forward into recovery. And, you know, there are so many um, exercises that are being planned and carried out now that are so multidimensional and, and incorporating different levels of government and different communities and all the service providers in a community. That's a fantastic piece. So is is that part of the uh, training for you know your colleagues? Because in a disaster a lot of people just want to run in and help. So, you know, not stand and you know, listen. So is emotional intelligence part of that training as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I would say that's even part of the, the basic introductory pieces of psychological first aid. It's being aware of yourself and, and what you've been through and what your coping strategies are. Mm -hmm. um, and that they may change over time as well too. When you talked about the cumulative impact, um, there may be some events where I'm just not ready to respond to this one. But there's a whole team behind me and that, and that that's okay, right? And then you can kind of bump each other up a little bit, you know, and be there for support, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's even like I was sharing with you how I feel sitting here in, in Toronto while my colleagues are working back home in Northern Alberta, right? Half of me wants to be home. Right? Well, they, they probably have their thoughts too, right? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> 
So we only have a couple of minutes left. Can you take a, a minute or, or, or two to, you know, any final thoughts that you have on all of this and what you presented and, you know, your thoughts on the, the direction uh, of AHS is going? Um, as when I think about the folks that are evacuated at home right now and what they're going through, I think back to what it was like um, during Slave Lake or through the floods or even Fort McMurray. Um, and I, I can't be I can't be prouder to be part of this part of this profession, part of this approach. Uh, the fact that all the folks that are at home, all the fantastic work that they've done um, to work with communities um, to prepare themselves for when something happens. Um, it's it's an indispensable component of working with our communities, um, and when we talk about patient care and staff safety, um, all the work that goes into that across the organization, across the province, with all the service providers, um, it's it's exciting to see us apply lessons learned and getting better and better at this as we go through, and still being wide open to um, input and continually getting better and better working with folks. One, one last question I just thought of. The approach that AHS is taking right now, um, do you, is that exclusive to Alberta or are you seeing that approach um, become more nationwide or global? I think it's a real global approach. I mean so much we're utilizing uh, research from the World Health Organization um, all kinds of academic uh, approaches as well too in the research and lessons learned from other countries as well um, bringing all that forward and utilizing all of that from all the different partners and providers that we have as well too and, and even you know at the outset when we were talking about that community uh, outreach model in, in Ontario and Quebec and, and checking on folks and wellness checks and how we saw that happen in Alberta years and years ago and I think um, a conference like this is a great opportunity to share lessons learned and best practices mm -hmm. and to learn from everyone we possibly can. Um, so uh, again, <laughs> back to that interoperability <laughs> piece that I love so much. Yeah. You're going to market that word, aren't no, you? No, it's not mine. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of the show. Ken, thanks very much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and congratulations on your uh, presentation because you did it actually just before we were talking, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so, so you came in hot. You knew uh, what to say, right? <laughs> I hope so. And to everybody out there who's listening, um, again, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, please feel free. Send me an email and uh, I will respond and we'll see about getting on the show or finding someone to talk about your topic. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.